Hey guys and welcome back to the channel. I'm really excited to be joined by Amy Lundy and we're going to be previewing the up and coming US Open tournament. We're going into the WTA and ATP side and I'm really looking forward to getting your thoughts, Amy. How are you doing? Really well. Super excited for the start of this tournament. It's I live in the New York area and it is terrible weather today, but apparently some super nice very temperate weather is coming like 80s partly cloudy which is like right in the wheelhouse um so i'm hoping that we have a really good run of good weather and that like cramping and heat and and all that is not an issue yeah no for sure are you going actually by the way i didn't ask are you, are you oh going? yeah i'll go down there many yeah. times so it's it's just a, a train ride and a subway ride for me so it's super easy Amazing. Are you going to go as a fan and or press or what, how are you going to go? What <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm not going to go as press this year and I will go at least one day as a fan. And then uh, through some coaching contacts that I have, I will go as guest of the player a couple of oh. days. Uh, I'm not going to tell allowed you to know which. which... Oh, okay. Okay. We don't no, know. okay no. Actually, I don't know. I don't know yet. <laughs> But... <laughs> you have that many contacts, Amy. You could just decide which player you want to choose to go with. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe just it's fine. You don't have to say it on here, but you can. Um, you can message me when you know. But I'm just okay. I'm just interested. I'll okay. keep it to myself. <laughs> right. Should we start off then with the with the WTA side because I feel like we were talking about it before, and personally, anyway, I, I feel like there's a lot to talk about. I feel like it's a lot more open on paper, anyway, than the than the men's side. Um, the first topic that I wanted to discuss was the balls, that they've changed them. So the heavy-duty Wilson balls. And uh, I was saying to you before that Igor Sviontek kept on, and also Sabalenka, they were saying, or have said in prior years, that they didn't really like the, I think they were called normal duty, or I think or medium duty. Regular uh, which duty. were Or regular duty. <laughs> one, of them, one of them, regular so duty. So regular. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. And they were saying, look, we, like, you know, back in the day, and um, they could understand why the women used to play with those balls in the USM because maybe they weren't quite as strong. But nowadays, Shriontek was saying that, you know, we, we are physically more than capable of being able to use the same balls as, as the men, understandably. And we feel like, you know, at the moment, the balls that we're using, they, we feel like we can't control them as well. Uh, so they have made the switch. Um, what are your thoughts? One on like, do you agree? Like, are you happy they made the switch? Do you think it makes any difference? And what types of players do you think you'll favor? I do think it will make a minor difference, but it, it ends up being a big difference because at the super, super elite levels, very minute changes in condition, surface, balls, you name it, can equate to um, a, a big difference because they're so close in level. So uh, it wasn't last year, it was a year before that when Medvedev actually won. Um, I was out at the practice courts and Medvedev was practicing and he finished and there were a bunch of balls on the court and the next team came in to take that court. And I happened to know the coach of that team. And I said, do you mind if I scoop up some of these balls and take them home? He said, of course, I was just going to give them away anyway. So, and, and it's really cool to see some balls that have been practiced with by an ATP player because they've been abused, okay? They are roughed up. And they also are like black and blue because the paint jobs that the players have on their rackets have um, glommed off onto the balls. So they look like they've been bruised and abused. But uh, it, it was interesting because he happened to have been practicing with both kinds of balls. That was just what was available and they don't really care when they're practicing as much. Some of them don't. So um, I, I have like about a dozen of the balls and I can tell the difference between the extra duty and the regular duty and the balls that the women's were, that the women were playing with. It's like a close shave. You know, it's it's like there's almost no fuzz on them. The men's balls are fuzzed up beyond belief. And you can see where that would make a difference in terms of aerodynamics. So um, I, I, I do remember Ash Barty's coach saying that she would never have a shot at winning the U.S. Open because of those balls. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I don't believe that, but um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and, and it's interesting, Radicano, you know, would she have won with the other ball? Super interesting to think about. Um, I do think it'll make a difference. And I think it, it probably does benefit someone like Sviantek who will be able to access her spin and really control the ball like she likes to do. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. And yeah, the Radicani question is interesting, isn't it? Um, but I, I think I think it'll definitely favor the players who are able to hit through the court more with more spin, as you said, and they, ha- they have a heavier heavier forehand or heavier ground strokes and or, or serves. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see now the more counter-puncher players like, say, Fernandez um, and and those types of players of that ilk, like Kasakina, how are they going to fare? Is it going to affect them as well in a negative way? And um, will they ad- adapt? Uh, it'll be interesting to see, I guess. But yeah, I mean, the other thing is the courts as well, slightly slower this year. And I guess that again favors someone like a Shriantek more than, say, like a Sabalenka or a Bakina because they, well, from what I've seen anyway, they, they're all court players, but they tend to prefer the slower courts um, as well. Um, and also for, for like a Pagula and Goff, like, do you think they'll prefer a slightly slower? Hardcore, they're two informed players as well. I actually think that the fuzzed up ball and the slightly slower court could favor Pagula, and she's the one that I picked to win the tournament. Uh, she hits a very flat but very consistent ball. So um, the few errors that she does make will be even further taken down by these conditions. And she is from New York, not not Manhattan, Queens area, but she's from the state of New York. Uh, so I think the crowd will favor her. And this could be really, as long as she's, you know, feeling good and not too tired from the long season, I think this could be a really good tournament for her. Okay, uh, I'm gonna, I want to ask you then about that, the Pagula pick. So what, what I, I, you've kind of touched on a little bit, but... Uh, what makes you think that she's going to have a, a fantastic tournament and go through to win? Like, is it something that you saw maybe in the win in Montreal, or like, what, what have you seen a, a, a change in her potentially as well recently? Yeah, she finally, you know, cracked the Sviantec code, and she had that was the Cotton Eye Joe match. She had pretty much everything going against her, including luck, and she really kept her. Um, focus and knew what she had to do to win the match in three sets. I just like her game right now. It's it's um, nothing fancy, very workmanlike, um, flat ball hitter that is difficult for others to handle. Her ball is not quite as heavy as Sviantek's ball. Um, she doesn't come in a lot, you know, I, I would call her an aggressive flat ball baseliner, but almost equally good off both wings. And, uh, you know, that's the type of style that plays well here on a, on a slower or even a faster hard court. Yeah. I feel like her serves improved as well. Have, have you noticed that? I feel like she's not, I'm maybe not hitting it like necessarily quicker, but she's hitting her sports. So I feel like she's getting some more free points off it compared to prior years. Um, I feel like it has improved. Have you seen the same thing? Yes. Her percentages are up. Um, plus one percentages are up on the serve plus one. So it's, it's that first shot after the serve. And I think um, if I remember correctly, slightly fewer double faults. Yeah. So we're heading in the right direction. So um, big tournament ahead is uh, is what you're picking, which is cool. What about the other? Uh, well, there's quite a few Americans in the draw, but I think the other American that we're probably going to touch upon is Coco Goff, and she's she's the winner of the other Master 1000 tournament in Cincinnati, and she also cracked the Shriontek code as well. I mean, it seems like there's been a little bit of fixing of the forehand. She's more confident on that side. She's been serving quite well, and we know how athletic she is, and she has incredible raw ability and at 19 years of age you know she seems to maybe be at that at that stage where she's maybe matured enough to make another big run like she did last year at the French Open 
what do you what do you think of how she's been playing and also do you think Brad Gilbert has had a big effect on it? Because everyone keeps on talking about the Brad Gilbert effect and he's coming to the camp and we've actually had him on the channel before actually as well, one of our podcasts. And um he's how obviously was a very he? knowledgeable guy. He's really good. I mean he's uh <laughs> he's a friend of uh Brad Faulkner who um used to do used to do a podcast on here and uh, he came on and uh, he was really good. He was really good. I think he's very comfortable with with the host. So um and he's clearly incredibly uh intelligent when it comes to the sport and knows he's just got incredible depth and knowledge uh, on the game and has a very unique way of thinking so it's always I, I find it really interesting to listen to him or even just read his tweets sometimes as well he has very interesting insights but uh what what did you what do you think do you think it's it has had a positive effect on coco and like how, how have you seen her game overall generally speaking absolutely his whole approach is Something that I think, I mean, this may be a little controversial, but men and women, generally speaking, tend to have different processes. It's just biological. And I find that women are often very critical of themselves, even during a point. So they can be in a rally or an exchange and be critical of the way they hit the ball. And that little millisecond thought of, you know, I didn't get all that forehand or I didn't get my hips rotated or, you know, whatever that that critical judging of the shot you just hit can produce a millisecond delay in recovery and getting ready for the next shot. So Gilbert's whole approach, I think, would be extremely beneficial to women in just getting them to let go of the shot they just hit and letting go of any processing because it's winning ugly. And it's the realization that most of the shots that you hit are not going to be perfect. And you've got to let that go and recover and and anticipate and get ready for the next shot. So he's probably worked with her on her, this, these concepts on her forehand, which is not, you know, technically perfect, but it really doesn't matter because, um, most people who play tennis don't have perfect shots. And even if they do, they don't hit that perfect shot every single time. So the whole mentality of winning ugly, I think, could benefit anyone, but most especially Coco Goff. And my my whole bummer thing is that she ended up in the same quarter with Sviantec again because they've played eight times. And um, Coco's only beat her once, which was in in Cincinnati, you know, just last week. And it was a close match. So it's kind of a bummer that she lands in Iga's quarter once again. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And yeah, the winning ugly concept is, I think it's really interesting because with with Coco, I think, you know, I'm assuming she's now trusting the process more in terms of her coaching. and, And she's thinking about the next point. She's not, it doesn't seem like, as you said, she's maybe dwelling on the mistakes that she's making and she's kind of moving forward, which is, which is great. Um, but she, she's got all of these, she's got all these interesting little intricacies to her game that I think when they come together um, are really dangerous. And she's obviously got some of the big weapons as well, like the serve. Uh, I, I'm assuming you're not picking her to go further than the quarterfinals then by the sounds of it, because she's on tech. Is that kind of what you're looking at when you look to the draw? I very hesitantly ended up picking Iga to come through. And it's not because Coco isn't great and ha- isn't on to something with Brad Gilbert. That If, if it comes to them, it could go either way. Hmm. But um, I think it's Iga. I think she's going <laughs> to want she's going to want to get that back. She's going to be annoyed with herself. You know, she's a very competitive person. Um, And I could tell that her hard court season, which hasn't gone, you know, perfectly um, is weighing on her. Yeah. No, she's the type of player to adapt, isn't she? And she'll learn from a a defeat and she'll try and adapt. Although I guess you could argue someone like Rabakina has been able to do it, but I feel like that's a different head-to-head because with Coco, she's always beaten her, and then it's a recent loss, and as you said, very, very close. Uh, so I've actually gone... <laughs> people will know who've watched my, my, my preview video. I went extremely left-field when I was picking all my matches, and 
I ended up having Coco Golf as winning the whole tournament. So oh, uh, it's, yeah. it's not a really tough route. But that's I not a had, bad pick. Well, I had, <laughs> people might laugh when they see it. But I had Coco Golf and Jabur in the final, uh, which was like really, really left field because Jabur also has been struggling with injuries as well recently and hasn't had like the best year. But I was, I was like the the Wimbledon final and looking at the draws and looking at the matchups, but. Uh, we'll see if that happens. I think I could be oh, very, very wrong as well. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I mean, what a fantastic final that would be. I, I hope that you're right. And the thing is, it'll be great because both players have made at least one Grand Slam final. So they'd kind of, one of them would be happy, one of them would be crying probably again, like they like you would, and like <laughs> anyone would if you lose yeah. a Grand Slam final after um after losing it but look look carlos even <laughs> cried and when he lost cincinnati i know yeah i was oh. surprised by it but it was, it was a really i mean i guess it was an emotional match and how yeah yeah i mean he had a match point and everything as well that was an incredible match to watch um so shriontek's chances then so you've obviously picked Pugu to win um what do you think of shriontek's draw i think it's pretty straightforward until the coco golf course final yeah i've seen some people saying that it's quite difficult but I guess it's all relative on who the player is, right? Because Sviontek, her style, and like, I've got her potential route in front of me because it's, when I say potential, just this is assuming all the seeds go through, which barely ever happens. But uh, she's got Rebecca Peterson, the Swedish player in the first round, Seville, the Australian, Kocciaretto, Kudamatova, Goff, Rebecca, and Sabalenka. So that's like her route. Um, I think it's a pretty good what were your thoughts when you saw it yeah that's why i picked her to come through and it really came down to analyzing iga versus coco and just look at the record i mean and 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 the number of of uh straight sets um coco was having a trouble getting even a set off of her but she got it she she figured it out but now the pressure is really going to be on Coco to repeat that. And it's just so unfair. She <laughs> keeps ending up in, in near Sviantec in these in these big tournaments. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, she is. She tends to be in that in that quarter, doesn't she? Um, or half at least with uh, mm-hmm. with Iga. Uh, another player that I think has got a pretty good draw is Sabalenka. And obviously she's the Australian Open champion as well. And I, I personally think if we're looking at results, she's probably been the most, which is very ironic to say because she's always been known as a very inconsistent player. But I think she's probably had the most consistent season in terms of results. She's made a lot of semifinals and quarterfinals. And she hasn't won a huge amount of tournaments, but I think she's kind of, she's not had many huge upsets in the first or second rounds of, of tournaments. Uh, and her route is pretty good, I think. Like Zanevska, Blinkova, Pliskova, who... Is like would have been dangerous on maybe grass, but I don't feel like she's been in great form recently. Kasatkina, who I hate to say it if you're a Kasatkina fan, but I've seen her her draw and I don't know if she's even going to make it that far. Jabur, Pagula, Sviontek. I mean, what are your thoughts on her chances and, and kind of potentially you know, how well she could do at the, at the tournament? Uh, because her form's been a little bit strange in the last couple of weeks as well in Cincinnati and in Montreal, she hasn't been playing the best. I'm just looking at her draw right now to remind myself. One of the easier quarters, for yeah. sure. Um, the ball could affect her in a negative way. Okay. Um, because, you know, she's the big server. And mm. if you don't have the ball just, you know, rocketing off her racket, um, that could be a thing. If she gets frustrated, she tends to rack up the double faults. Um, I, I'm just like in awe of Kaya Kanepi. She's one of my favorite <laughs> players. She just keeps going. I know. She must be like 139 uh, now. I think 1339. She's amazing. She's got streets of a, and the first, she, she could, you know, she, she's usually good for a round or two in yeah, these things. She is. Um, yeah, I really like Sabalenka's draw. But yeah. but uh, it, it'll get sticky for her in the maybe the semifinals. Yeah, which is where you, she'd play Pagula, which obviously you're picking Pagula mm-hmm. to win that. Um, and then one of the players I think's got the I think she's got a horrific draw is uh, Alina Rabaka, who had a mm-hmm. really bad Wimbledon draw, and she seems to get absolutely zero luck when it comes to draws. Her draw and her first round is Marta Kostyuk, who's been playing some pretty good tennis recently. Mm-hmm. Then she's got Tomjanovic, potentially, who had a really deep run last year. 
Castea, who's pretty steady, I would mm-hmm. say, like, she's pretty good. Uh, Azarenka or Bencic, fourth round. And then she's got Mukova or Sakari, and Sviontek in a semi, and Sabalinka in the final. Plus the potential injury concerns after retiring against Jasmine Paolini in Cincinnati. I mean, what are your thoughts on her chances? Because, I mean, she has a shocker of a draw, in my opinion. Yeah, she's got the, of the top four seeds, she's got the toughest draw. Um, I think I did pick her to come through her quarter only because I was having a hard time picking anyone else. Unless I picked Mukova. I'm already confused. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely the toughest section of the women's draw for sure. And it'll be interesting to see how the new ball affects her. Um, I think she'll do pretty well with it, actually. Um, but you're right. Her first round match against Kostyuk is Banana a tough skin. one yeah, yeah. because th- those are players of similar styles and mm. builds. Um, Rebakana is usually just a little bit better, but we'll see. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, she's she's got a, a tough route. And I guess it depends because you'd think if she's carrying a little bit of a niggle as well, she can maybe build up some, some form with some plays in the first or second rounds who are not maybe as, as good a caliber but she has to almost fight from the first round onwards and she did so at Wimbledon to be fair but then lost to Jabra in the quarterfinals as almost like okay this is one step too far um but yeah we'll see how she gets on as well um I did on? pick Rebakana to come through I thought about Muhova but I picked Rebakana so okay, okay. we'll see <laughs> and talking of injury concerns they're on Jabra I mean I picked her to replicate her US Open run last year. Uh, she's got Sabalenka quarterfinal potentially as well, which would be a replay of Cincinnati last week. But I think she was kind of a bit of a niggle and she beat her in Wimbledon, you could say, as well, different surface. Uh, she's got an easier route than Wimbledon, though. Her route in Wimbledon was her. I think she played, I think it was four Grand Slam champions back to back because Andrescu, Kvitova, Rabakina, Sabalenka. And she beat all of them. And then obviously she lost to Von Drisper in the final. And we haven't spoken since then. But I mean, it was just like her level just kind of just dropped <laughs> into an abyss in that final, which is just such a shame because it's such a good run as well. Um, so I have two questions. One, do you think she's going to be able to replicate it because she's actually got an easier route? Or could that be potentially a bad thing because she's arguably a better underdog than favorite from what we've seen as well in the last couple of years? I think it all hinges on her health. Mm. Do we know what's wrong with her? She's always got something. I don't. I don't know. I mean, she has multiple niggles, doesn't she? I mean, it, it kind of yeah seems to something seems to rear its head. But I do um, think the slower conditions and the fuzzier ball is, is good for her because yeah. she likes to vary up her spins and um, vary up her shots and stuff she can either drive the ball or she can drop shot or you know just spin from every angle um so that could actually be yeah. good for her she could find that favorable i yeah. like your pick <laughs> Do you... yeah so i want to that... change mine <laughs> <laughs> so her foot was taped up apparently tightly by the um yeah so i guess we'll see depending on I mean, the thing is the foot's in that's a real niggly one as well because yeah. it's, nothing really, it's just you what can you do you're walking around all the time as well you're yeah. always using it so every you're a tennis player <laughs> yeah every yeah. split step hurts or bothers you yeah, yeah. So we'll see and, and, and i'm assuming she's not going to go down the uh rafa nadal i'm going to inject myself into my foot and then uh, and ha- play with a foot that i can't even feel <laughs> I wonder if it's like a very common injury for tennis players is plantar fasciitis, which I've had. But yeah. that's that's the type of injury that typically doesn't bother you as much um, it in the moment, but it's it's after that's really bad. I'm going to research that. Okay. See exactly well, what, what is is that is that like the bridge of your foot? Like it's what? like the the bottom the it can be anywhere from the the achilles through the heel down through the arch it can be the little tears can be anywhere in okay. there yeah i've definitely had that i'm probably carrying an injury now like that's really <laughs> i feel like i've always got something like there um my achilles down to my heels so it's probably just by playing a lot of tennis to be honest with you but yeah um 
Yeah, I'll, I'll research that now. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Me <laughs> too. Me too. <laughs> uh, okay, in, in terms of like others to look out for, I mean, do you have any Dark Horse or ones to watch on the WTA tour before we move on to the men? I think um, Muhova will be one. Um, now I'm kind of kicking myself maybe for not um, picking her because I, I kind of... Uh, Zachary is always, she's not really a dark horse, but she's always one to watch. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just have this feeling that it, the women's draw never does this, but I just have this feeling that this one's going to go a little more to chalk, as we say, a little more the seeds holding up. Just a feeling. Hmm. Oh, okay. I like it. It's almost a bold prediction to say that because yeah, the right. open seeds never hold. I know it's funny because I was doing my picks and it's almost a little bit annoying because of the qualifying has been has been a lot of rain etc as well. And I was thinking, you know, I'm just assuming this that you know the seeded one seeded player is going to come through against qualifiers. But there's always going to be at least one or two qualifiers that cause upsets and they make a run. And next thing you know, there's a qualifying the semi-finals. So um, you just never know. Maybe Ostapenko, um, the the heavier ball will help mm. her keep the ball inside the lines a little more. I don't know. Yeah. She's no, near I... Ega, so she is. maybe not. <laughs> I actually had uh, – she's got someone tough in the first round. Paulini? Is it yeah, Paulini? I, yes, and I picked Paulini to win, actually. That pretty, okay. That was a big call for me, but she's been playing quite well, Paulini. I like her style, so maybe a bias involved, to be honest. But, but yeah, but yeah. Well, the is great as well. I mean, she's exciting, isn't she? She's, yes. Um, she definitely can't say that uh, she's boring to watch. Uh, <laughs> right. So your pick is Pagula. Um, yes. And then if you had to pick one dark horse, who, who would it be then? Um. Probably Jabour, who who would be a dark horse because after what happened at Wimbledon, you know nobody really expects anything of her in the closing arguments, and and she's hurt. So there's my dark horse. Mm, I like it. I like it. And yeah, my finalist. <laughs> so <laughs> let's move on to the men's. Uh, so the ATP side. I mean, I'm just going to ask, and I think I know the answer, but is it? on paper, a two-horse race between Djokovic and Alcaraz. With the, with a draw coming out, I mean, obviously Alcaraz, I would argue, has a harder draw than Djokovic. But again, I do think it's relative in the sense that Djokovic has some very favourable head-to-heads with some people in his quarter and his half. Um, but are they the it's clear favourites? It's hard favorites? to find a player that he doesn't have a favourable head-to-head. And that's the thing, right? <laughs> so it's almost like, it's a bit un- you feel a bit, it's a bit unfair to then say he's got an easy draw, but then in actual reality it is because there's only really maybe two or three players that I would say have a real chance of beating him unless it's a massive upset, which which could happen, but it just doesn't seem to happen much with um with with him nowadays. Uh, with players that are unknown players, any or players that are maybe not as as higher ranked. Um, but yeah, is it is it on paper to two horse race between Joko Jarkaraz or are people missing something? I know there's obviously there's a tier below where people are going to be talking about them, but surely they're on a tier of their own. They, to me, they are. Let's not overthink it. You know, these are the two best players in the world. That being said, there is one little <laughs> hitch. Um, I do think that if I'm being completely objective, and I do, Djokovic fans, I do call these as I see them. I think <laughs> Novak has a favorable draw for yeah. him. For him, yeah. uh, Alcaraz has Sinner in his quarter. That's a shocker, yeah. (laughs) And uh, that is, it's a tougher matchup for Carlitos. Their their series is 3-3, I think. Yeah, it is. is. Uh, They played at last year's US Open. It was an epic. Um, Sinner had a match point, yeah. Yep, yep. But Carlitos came away with it, obviously, and then won the tournament. Um. So that presents a significant challenge for him, but you know it's one that he relishes. So <laughs> yeah. it's all good. Yeah. You know what? You're right, I think, because Djokovic, I was looking at, and I was thinking, okay, who would Djokovic not want to have in his quarter or even his half? And I was thinking he wouldn't want Medvedev because even though he's got a favorable head to head, Medvedev is just like, 
he hates playing against him. He always takes him into deep water, similar to Alcaraz, and different, slightly different style. But he can, you know, he'll stick with Djokovic. He'll make it physical, and especially if the courts are slightly slower with these balls as well. You think, okay, maybe like Medvedev can can cause issues and beat Djokovic last time they played at the U.S. Open. Uh, so you could say that. And then also, I was thinking, obviously Alcaraz, but Alcaraz is in a, he's always going to be in a different half. Uh, Sinner, I, I didn't really think. I mean, I just think. Even though it's, I was thinking maybe on a hard court it would be different, but after the Wimbledon loss, I feel like mentally there's a massive edge now for Djokovic. Um, and then the other player I was thinking was Runa, and Runa is in his half. Um, and I was thinking Runa, and I th- I think personally Runa is a player that neither player stylistically wants to see because I think he's got a favourable head-to-head with Alcaraz. I think it's 2-1, I could be wrong. And with Djokovic, he also has a good head-to-head with Djokovic. And he hasn't been in great form. He, I think he's also carrying a slight niggle, but if he makes it that far, it means that he's probably healthy and fit, playing some decent tennis. And I don't think that's a player that either player would want to to see. So I feel like both players have got. Well, I think both players have got one player that they really don't want to see. My question to you, Amy is: Can Medvedev cause issues against Alcaraz if they were to play on a hard court at the U.S. Open? Because the recent head-to-head tells me no, but. Is there something that maybe I'm missing with that one? For me, Medvedev is the mystery because mm. he, he's labeled himself a hardcore specialist and he <laughs> did not have a good hardcore run up to the US Open. Mm. Um, I, I have a feeling he's going to turn things around. Um, he likes the New York energy, he likes to, you know, give it to the fans. He's a former champion here. I, I have this feeling that he's going to bust out knowing that, you know, this is the end of the American hard courts. This is the, the ultimate. Um, he does have, I believe he has Demonar in his area yeah. and he lost to him recently. Mm. So that, that's a little tricky. Um, yeah. In, in Toronto, I think it would be. Well, yeah. Toronto, I think. He made the so, final yeah, so um, I I don't know. He it, Medvedev is the mystery here. If he plays uh, Carlos, like you said, it probably means that he's been playing well and he's finding something. So I think we could at least hope for a four or five set match in mm. that one. Yeah, I'm interested to see if Medvedev comes up against Alcaraz, whether he's going to start t- tinkering with his return position again or whether he's just going to say no I'm just going to I'm just going to I'm going you know what I'm going to stick to it and if he serve volleys me or serve drop shots me then you know what that's fine but I need to find a way around it mm-hmm. but I mean, it's, it's so intriguing that matchup and it just seems like Alcaraz is able to figure out maybe so I'm, I'm intrigued to see whether he can ad- he can adapt himself um, because it would be strange to see the same thing play out uh, and maybe it's just a bad start and that happens, I guess, sometimes. But uh, at this level, you you normally think that the players would adjust their tactics in some way to combat the opponent rather than being stubborn. So I guess we'll see how that goes. Um, for Djokovic then, I mean, he, as you said, I think he's definitely got an easier draw. I've got his road to the final kind of list in front of me. And the US Open did it, so kudos to them um, for putting putting these out as well. Uh, but he's got Muller in the first round, Zapata Morales in the second, third round of Jair, fourth round. I mean, I don't think he's going to... Uh, I hate to say that he's not going to meet him, but I don't think he's going to meet Orgelia Seam in the fourth round, given the current form of the Canadian. Um, quarterfinal of Tsitsipas, uh, semi-final of Runa, final of Alcaraz. I mean, apart from the final, I mean, what was your pick? I mean, do you see him having I trouble with any of those it. players? I picked Djokovic to win the tournament. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Runa has a back problem, and you know the coaches will like exaggerate it and overstate <laughs> it. But I think Muratoglu said it was a paralyzing injury. Okay. So he he kind of sold me on that, and okay. and uh, I didn't pick him to go very far. Mm. But you never know. Maybe it's maybe it's kind of a a red herring. Yeah. So it looks like up until the final, there's not really anyone that can actually change your part right. if Runa's fit. What right. about what about Sitsipas? I'm going to ask you, does he have any chance? Has he been playing well enough at all, Amy? Can he, with the 
with the courts being slightly slower. And I, I always find it really weird that Sissipas hasn't played well at the US Open and he's played better at the Australian Open because I would imagine that he would prefer a slightly slower hard court given his backhand and given that he has more time to run around the backhand and utilize his forehand more. But he's always done better at the Australian Open. Like, made the final this season, made loads of semifinals. US Open, he tends not to. Don't know whether it's just because of the back end of the year. Um, but what are, you, what are your thoughts on his form and his chances? Um, Tsitsipas has a rough first round opponent <laughs> in Raonic. He does, um, yeah. Tsitsipas has have been having his season of love. So that's, <laughs> you know, when that happens, it, it can actually have an effect on the brain and things that were important to you just aren't as important now. So that's fine. I haven't picked him to go very far. Um, and then, yeah. So was this the, let me, I'm just looking at the quarter here. Um, I have a surprise pick in one Ooh, of the quarters. It? Tommy Paul. Yeah, I mean, that's all, to be fair, that's understandable. He's been playing some really good tennis, hasn't he? Yeah, it was between him and Tiafo. Um, and and I ended up picking Tommy just because um, of how well he's been playing, how consistently he's been playing, and his good performances against top 10 players. Yeah. So he's kind of my dark horse and my outlier pick to come through. Yeah. Well, what do, what do you think about his game that um, is like stands out to you in terms of Tommy Paul's game? Because there'll be some people watching who maybe aren't as familiar with him, uh, but he clearly has something about him, and he he always seems to cause uh, Alcaraz fits when they play against each other as well. Alcaraz, I don't know whether he hates playing against him, or as you said, he might relish the the opportunity of playing against him, but um, he seems to have like a pretty well-rounded game and it's just, he's never really made the big, big runs. Uh, but what, what are your thoughts on his game and how he's been playing? Like, what does he bring to the table? Incredible speed. He's one of the fastest and best movers on the ATP tour. Good forehand, really. He's almost like Alcaraz light in a lot of ways. Um, he his his serve is serviceable but not elite um he's uh just anticipation for days and good net skills as well when he chooses to employ them yes yeah i think he's got really good hands at the net and his transition game is great i was talking to my coach actually at my local club and he was saying he's got great transition game that's what and he causes our cries issues and and he's able to match him physically in that sense as well. But um, I was watching his serve as well. And I think, you know, his serve is a little bit underrated. I actually, I was watching him serve against Alcaraz. Maybe that was him serving out of his skin. But I mean, he was hitting the 130 mark and then he was throwing in like a massive kick serve from the ad side, which is like 95 miles per hour. But he was acing Alcaraz sometimes from that side. And I was like, okay, he's got the variation and hitting his spots. And I was like, if he can serve like this, and then we know what else he's got to his game, then you know, he should have a good chance of going deep in these tournaments um, and at least be disrupting anyway. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing him actually at, at the US Open. And the crowd will be behind him as well. So mm-hmm. hopefully he can utilize that because I feel some players, they then add more pressure to themselves and it's a negative effect um, that it has on them. But other players, they'd relish it and they kind of channel it into positive energy. So um, we'll see. But um, Alcaraz, where did you have Alcaraz ending up then? In the final with Djokovic or did you have him falling earlier? To stay I have him courses? going to the final with Djokovic. Mm, okay. Let's not overthink. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have the same too, I had the same, but I went for I went for Alcaraz to beat Djokovic. I was umming and ahhing when I was doing it and I was like, oh, who do I go for? And I do think Djokovic is the favourite even going into that. If they make, both, both make the final, I still think Djokovic will be the favourite, but you know, just something about it makes me think, oh, maybe she's going to keep on seesawing. But I, I almost feel that this is, yeah, fine, Djokovic won Cincinnati, but this is the one he's going to really want, like to get revenge in a, in a slam, in a slam final. Because um, uh, if Alcaraz wins two slam finals in a row, you're kind of thinking, well, in best of five, then is there like a pattern here, maybe, even though it's only two matches. So um, hopefully we get it, because I think it'll be a great match. And no, no, Obviously, no offense at all intended to any other players, but I think that's the matchup that obviously everyone's excited about at the moment. Um, 
What do, what do you think of Sinner's chances? Because he won Toronto. Do you think he has a chance against Alcaraz in the quarterfinals to the head-to-head as well? And if he were to be Alcaraz, do you think he then has a good chance of going on to potentially win the thing? And obviously, he'd probably have to contend with Djokovic, but with the confidence of beating someone like an Alcaraz as well, could it put him in good stead to go on and potentially win a maiden slam after winning his maiden Masters 1000 title? This is a player that, for me, is so beautiful to watch because of his pure ball striking. And I want to become a big fan of his and, you know, see him do well. But then I'll see a comment from him in the media that's like he said um, something along the lines of it's important just to live life, too, and and not put everything into tennis. And I'm like, hmm, that's true. It's totally true. But is that the the winner's mentality? And then I I saw him make another comment recently. Oh, he said, it's okay to lose. It's okay to lose if you lose the right way. And I, you know, you play, you know, I play. Is that really the right mentality? Is that like a champion's mentality? Um, So, I don't know. I kind of question his thought processes, I guess. And and I rarely end up picking him for these things. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think sometimes um, comments can be made, and I don't know whether players is taken out of context sometimes, it's reported or, or or translation as well. But I think I have heard similar comments, and it does it does make you think a little bit about like where his head's at from a mental aspect. Um, he could use a Brad Gilbert. Yeah, you know, yeah. I I know yeah. he's got Cahill, and and that's yeah. going really well. But it's almost like, yeah, everybody could use a Brad Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, and the other thing is the physical aspect, and you know he's had issues with like blisters and you know cramping and injuries, and he seems injury free at the moment. And I almost feel like losing the first round of Cincinnati was a blessing in disguise because after winning Montreal, I was sorry Toronto even because they switched this year. Um, going into Cincinnati, I was thinking, oh, if he then goes deep again, he he might potentially pick up an injury. And so mm-hmm. he's had a whole week off, or need well, it'll be two weeks actually, uh, before the US Open. I feel that's actually a good thing for him. Uh, so he'll go into hopefully fresh and like with no, uh, yeah, with no injuries, hopefully. Uh, in in terms of, I mean the the courts being a bit slower because you're saying about the final Djokovic Alcaraz. Why, why did you pick Djokovic over Alcaraz out of interest? Um, Alcaraz has not proven that he can be cramp-free in a tense environment outside of the cool confines of Wimbledon. So, um, plus it's just... You know, it's Djokovic until proven otherwise. He's he's um, he's going to be motivated, and I think he <laughs> ripping off the shirt. You know, he's proven that he is motivated, but he's going to be motivated to take back the mantle. So it's either you know he's thirty six years old and Alcaraz won Wimbledon, and then is he really going to let Alcaraz win another one? And then the the baton may be passed because, you know, he'll be looking back. Or is he going to say not yet? And just knowing Djokovic, I I feel like he's going to say not yet. In terms of tactics and the slowness of the court and the, you know, everything else, um, they're just so even. They are both all court, all different speed court, slow court, fast court, clay court grass, whatever, hardcore, um, players, all surface, all weather players. So it's too, um, it's too early and it's too close to see the different tactical advantages. And by the way, they're both really good at coming forward. Novak is constantly tweaking and he is even improving in this area of the game. So that's why I picked him. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. And I think the, your point on Djokovic coming forward, like he's definitely, and I feel like having even even Isovich, sorry, even in his team has been a massive plus uh, for not just his serve, which we know has improved, but more his transition game and his his volleys, his net play. I feel like in the past, like thinking about Djokovic serving and volleying wouldn't even be 
in your mind, like you wouldn't even think about it, but now he'll do it and he'll do it against Alcaraz and he'll be confident to do it. I've even, even seen him doing it on second serve. We know Alcaraz likes coming forward anyway. Um, but yeah, as you say, they're all court players. And I think the fact that they are, or they all, it looks so even when they play and they can play on all different types of surfaces in different ways, it makes this rival really unique because this might be a bit of a bold statement to say, but I absolutely love the big three. And obviously you have a podcast dedicated to them. But I do feel like, apart from maybe like a period when Nadal and Djokovic were this, uh, quite young and they kind of just hit each other at the right time at the peaks on, say, a hard court or a grass court, they were pretty even. But as they got older, Nadal was like, okay, he's the clay giant. He's always going to win on clay uh, when they play. And then Djokovic, if they if he was to play a Nadal on a hard court grass court, you'd say Djokovic is the favourite. And obviously, I feel like maybe Federer and Djokovic was even. That was the one that might might be similar because on grass and hard court, they were more even, potentially. Um, and I feel like this has... It's almost like I don't know who's going to win because actually, you would have, if you said to me in the past, or like last year, okay, on clay, who wins? I would have said probably Alcaraz maybe might win that one. If he's going to win against Djokovic, probably clay. But on grass, he'll lose to Djokovic. But then the opposite happened this year. I think that just shows that these guys are so incredibly good at being able to adapt and they have um a style that is like conducive to to any surface um it also does <laughs> okay I'll be a tangent. it also does play into the theory of um the like the surfaces being like the homogenization of surfaces mm-hmm. but that's a discussion i guess for another day because we've been <laughs> talking about for a long time <laughs> yeah but, um yeah do you, do you think that's the, just a very like quick point on that? Do, do you think that's been the case though? Do you think that's why like these guys have had so much success? Like if you have a certain style, you're able to have success because the like the surfaces are becoming slightly more similar. Or is it just like yeah, you don't even grass? That? You know, even grass is has slowed down. Um, but again, we'll go back to our original point. Even minute differences yeah. can, it, it's almost like with, with the serve and your toss, you know, a toss that is this much different up at the height or the apex is going to equate to feet when it lands in yeah. the service box. So even these minute differences at this elite level will equate to big differences when they're actually meeting. Um but I, I don't mind so much. I don't mm. mind the homogenization. Um, Nadal is is still the king of clay, you know. <laughs> so I think it's great. I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I, I think it's, at the moment, it, it's great for the game. I don't know whether, if it does get to a point where it, it, they're so similar that maybe they need to kind of then start to uh, differentiate again. But at the moment, I think there is enough of a, differential between them that you know we we know okay fine there are still certain specialists on each surface which is good i think as soon as everyone starts playing the same way that's when it becomes difficult um in terms of ones to watch amy like are there any any other players that you think uh you know are either your dark horses or players that we should that we should look out for uh going to the tournament uh on the men's side um ben shelton I like the Americans. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Chris Eubanks, huge. <laughs> and and he's from my hometown, you know, like amazing. And I actually picked him as a dark horse at Wimbledon and it ended up being true, but yeah. he's not a dark horse for me here. Yeah. I think he's still adjusting to the newfound fame and he's making a lot of TV appearances, which is great because he's, fantastic on tvs one of these natural broadcasters um but i i don't see him super laser focused on tennis right now um and tiafo is a dark horse for me because i think he's made incremental improvement and you just never know he beat nadal here last year yeah uh he he went like he went almost he went toe-to-toe with alcraz as well didn't he and that was incredible yes i remember calling that yeah, so there you go. Those are my yeah. guys. Uh, what, what do you think of Gail Monfils? <laughs> I want to throw in a curveball. He's been playing some really good tennis recently. It's yeah. Ra- very random resurgence, but I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah. Um, don't know what to think of him. I, 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 My thought is maybe that he knows that he's near the end of his career, and so he's going to just 
give it everything he's got and leave it all out there. And he's knock on wood. Um, he's able to play right now. He's not, you know, physically hampered. So yeah. 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 And also shout out to John Isner. who's playing his last ever tournament. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm a big fan of his um, both professionally and personally. He really is a nice guy. And um, I was looking through his U S open record yesterday and i was reminded that he lost to philip kohlschreiber three times in the round of 32 at the u.s open and uh i i was at at least two of those matches which were ended up being really good matches but that's just kind of a a funny little quirk in his long and storied career um so many tiebreakers played <laughs> such a fantastic serve a different style of tennis you know like if you watch say two spanish guys going at it on a clay court it was kind of cool that you could watch isner on a hard court and just see something totally different so congratulations to him yeah no i couldn't have put it better myself i think he's the thing is you need different styles in the sport for it mm -hmm. to be exciting and to have those matchups and i feel like you know he has been incredible and arguably one of if not the best ever of all time and he's incredible um but also had like other aspects to his game as well um and of course he'll always be remembered for that nicholas mahu uh, longest match ever 70 68 match at wimbledon but um he's had some other really good highlights as well so um he'll definitely be missed uh for sure uh but it's interesting right because he's coming towards he's now finishing his career and then we've got ben shelton coming through who's i wouldn't say he's exactly the same but you know he's kind of like similar-ish mold and it's like it, it shows that you know it kind of things do tend to come almost kind of full circle in a way um which is quite cool and he's a different brand i guess uh coming through but he's uh exciting talent as well all right thank you thank you amy thank you so much for being with anything you want to touch upon before we wrap up no just enjoy this unique moment in the sport where we have a 36-year-old goat, so-called, and a young phenom that really only comes around once every couple of generations. And they have built this rivalry at the end of Djokovic's career, which is highly entertaining. So enjoy it. Yeah, it's very unique as well. You don't normally get such a big age gap like that, do you, in, in individual sports happening like this. So it's incredible to, to watch. And yeah, hopefully we get a... Would it be? It'd be uh, another instalment of uh, of that rivalry. But yeah, thank you so much, Amy. Really appreciated. Uh, go and check out Amy on Twitter or X as it's, as it's called now, Threads, and she's got some great articles there. And also uh, three a tennis show as well, which is on YouTube and podcast platforms. Uh, if you haven't already, do like this video, subscribe if you're new as well. And hopefully, Amy will have you back on again soon. It's, it was definitely too long in between um, our last chat, so hopefully we can catch up again a bit sooner. Uh, but yeah, thank, thank you so you. much, guys. Thank you.